to the Data Skeptic bonus feed, where we release extended content on data science, statistics, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. So I'm here with Rohan Kumar, the general manager for the Database Systems Group. Thanks for joining me, Rohan. Hey, thank you. Yeah, how have you enjoyed the conference so far? It's been actually so exciting, you know, like there's this three days and I mean, I've been here pretty much the whole time, being in sessions, meeting customers and speaking to the press. So, you know, especially with this build, I feel data has sort of really landed well. Yeah. Just absolutely. all up and uh, I think tons of great announcements, just all up things looking at the future, looking at how to transition our customers from, you know, where they are today as they, you know, move forward towards their transformation journeys. So it's, it's been very, very exciting. I know a lot of these announcements are sometimes months or years in the making. So right, right. For those you had a hand in, can you tell me what you were most excited about? Oh, absolutely. So there's a couple of things you know, from, uh, uh, that I'm really, really excited about. Uh, one thing is, of course, we went and uh, launched MySQL and Postgres as managed services in Azure. Mm -hmm. right? This is something that you know, we've been working on for a while now. And, uh, and, and, and the, the really excite, the exciting thing is, you know, like where Azure is becoming more and more open for developers, right? And it's, uh, it's no longer just about, you know, the stuff that we produce at Microsoft, essentially enabling the developers and meeting where they are. You know, and this sort of become like a very strong meme, very strong uh, philosophy that we've sort of adopted. So if you're a Postgres developer, if you're a MySQL developer, or you happen to use e any of these databases, like in MySQL, for example, there's a lot of web frameworks that use it by default, WordPress, et cetera. And you know, if there's any of that, then, and, then you know, Azure will be the best place for you to sort of come. You know, when we built the, our first pass service, an Azure SQL database, relational database service, it is basically SQL Server, the core engine, and then it's made into a pass service by this fabric that underlies that. And it sort of does things like high availability, disaster recovery, you know, scaling up and scaling down without any downtime, backups, security, all the advancements that we are adding through machine learning and things like threat detection, where we are able to look at the telemetry data that we collect. That's about 700 terabytes a day and growing, making the query performance of relational databases faster. MySQL and Postgres essentially are built on the same fabric. So you can imagine over a period of time, you know, we already support things like built-in high availability, built-in disaster recovery, built-in backup restore, you know, with point-in-time restore capabilities. But you can imagine all the richness that we are adding from a security standpoint, for a, from a performance and scale standpoint, we'll end up showing up in uh, MySQL and Postgres as well, oh, uh, which really? I'm very excited about. The opportunity to host services in the cloud, I mean, you've mentioned a lot of the key maybe we'll call them obvious reasons to do that. Right. Especially as a data scientist, I don't want to mess around with it. Yes. Uh, I actually had no idea there were threat detection things involved. Can Absolutely. You talk about some of those oh, features? yeah. So, so today, like, I think one of the things is, you know, we are able to, uh, just given the access patterns across, I mean, at any point in time in Azure SQL database, you know, we have close to a million plus databases that are active. Mm -hmm. I mean, the total number of databases that we host is about 2 million. So roughly, like, somewhere between, you know, 50-odd percentage. Right, so you're, you're constantly collecting data around their access patterns. Mm -hmm. right, so imagine, you know, if you had a database and all of a sudden somebody tried to connect to the database, which was, seemed very different. In some sense, think of like how fraud detection works with mm -hmm. credit card companies, right? There's a machine learning model against which they try to score whenever a transaction comes. That's exactly what we do. But the model that we are creating is based on the access patterns so far, right? If somebody is sort of sending some kind of SQL script, which looks like SQL injection, they are very clear ways of detecting things like that. Then we are able to protect the customer's database. You know, what we're doing with threat detection, we we be using the same telemetry that's coming out. So every database, you know, the queries that get executed against it, we anonymize, remove the PII data, 
and feed into this model. So let's say we made some changes on our side or you know, the uh, developer made changes to their application which caused some of their workloads to regress. Mm-hmm. We are able to detect that with a lot of precision. Hmm. And we, you know, we either sort of, if it's our issue, we fix it automatically. And if it's something, let's say, where it's a customer's issue, then we tell them, hey, look, the schema change you made or this index you dropped or created is having an adverse impact on your performance here. Right? Ah. And a lot of that is being through the machine learning intelligence that we're building on query access patterns. Right? So, oh, so that's, that's really, I mean, this is, this is groundbreaking because of the cloud. You could yeah. never do this on-prem. You don't have enough data to sort of feed into the model and make it rich. Yeah, yeah. Right? I've been in a number of situations where we deployed some alter statement to a database and, and yes. work great in dev, staging, all that stuff, only at deployment. And then, you know, it's a matter of hoping you have a coverage of enough telemetry to see it and right. then go digging. So right. I'm fascinated to hear. Tell me more about how, as a customer, if I botch some release. Correct. So you basically, you go to Azure, you know, you, all you need to do is create your Azure SQL database. Mm-hmm. And by default, you get enrolled into this. So we initially started off by making it optional. Because, you know, like, especially if you're going to make changes in your app, mm-hmm. right? So let's say dropping an index, creating index, or changing your schema right. to be more optimal. For the last about year and a half, we had this in what we call the opt-in phase. So when you created the database, by default, we wouldn't do anything, but you could say, look, I want to use this feature that you have. Now, for a lot of the recommendations we are making, we have enough confidence that we don't even need to ask anymore. We know this is going to be much better mm-hmm. if we make this change based on what we've seen. So as our confidence is built up, now we are making this enabled by default. So we have, I think, close to maybe somewhere 100,000 databases where it's being done by default right now. And that number is only going to increase you know, further and further as we speak. And you know, this is like to sort of add the second announcement, which I'm very excited about, is this notion of a database migration service. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, a lot of our customers right now are in this, who are looking at transforming or modernizing their infrastructure by using the public cloud they're not going to right-click and move everything in like 15 minutes. It doesn't work right. like yeah, that, yeah. right? I mean, there's lots of investments that we made. So we, they, they're like, look, this is where we are. We've invested a ton in the infrastructure. We've invested a ton in the applications. We don't want this move to be expensive. Like, yeah, I, I buy the public cloud. I want to use it. But if you ask me to rewrite my app or you're asking me to make fundamental changes like that, that becomes an expensive mm-hmm. proposition. Right, so this, the, the, the two key things we spoke about in Azure SQL Database. One was this database migration service. So if you have SQL servers on-prem and you have other proprietary databases as well, so if you have Oracle, Sybase, et cetera, mm-hmm. we're going to make it really easy for you to migrate your applications based on these to Azure SQL Database in the cloud. Now, without you doing anything different, now, all these other benefits we spoke about, right, threat detection, adaptive query processing, your performance just starts getting better, now your app, without any changes, just got all that benefits, mm-hmm. right? And that's really the value, right? The other thing we're seeing is, you know, as companies and, you know, there's examples where as they're doing their own global expansion, building data centers is not cheap. And this is where Azure, because it's spread across 38 regions in the world, and, you know, we're going to sort of go local is a pretty important part of our strategy. Growing becomes easy. Like, look, if my business all of a sudden needs me to sort of be present in Japan, I don't need to go build a data center there. I just need to deploy my app into the Azure data center. The only constraint is I don't want to invest too much in changing my app. Mm-hmm. So that's a category of customers for which I believe we now have a very great story with what we've announced with the database migration service and uh, the managed instance support mm-hmm. in Azure SQL database. So with regard to the migration, the experience I'm used to is, okay, we identify, we, we're outgrowing our on-prem My, uh, MySQL server, let's say. Right. 
we see that it's there as a service in Azure, so we can have feature parity. The APIs yes. don't break. So I take a downtime for my whole business, put yeah. the site offline, back up the database. takes a long time because yes. there's a lot of data. Upload it also takes a long time. Then reboot my business. Correct. How does uh, the migration yeah, services so improve that? Yeah, it's a that? great point. And actually, it's even worse. I mean, I think you captured it well, but upload it and then test whether the thing works or oh, not sure. in the first place. Right. Uh, so what the service essentially does is it automates a lot of these steps, do the assessment phase, come back with results. Now, if the results are like, look, it's compatible functionality-wise, you can move forward. So there's no break over there. Then it sets up what's called the schema migration and the data migration pipe, right? It's all sort of being done for you. I mean, there'll be certain information that it'll need, what storage account you need in mm -hmm. Azure, you know, what is your database instance, and it sort of builds that up. The other thing we are working towards is creating what's called the A-B testing infrastructure, where you can still continue to run most of your, you know, your workloads on your on-prem database, but keep forking the queries to the stuff in the cloud to see uh, if I'm getting similar results. Uh -huh. This is a very important part because this is very critical, right? Like, which is the functionality working, is the performance and scale working without having to create another system in the cloud, mm -hmm. right? Like, so how can I, you know, I'm already getting, I have a front end that gets all the requests. How can I keep satisfying them and fork, do the B part with this instance that I've created where I've migrated? And then you have to set up a continuous replication pipe where as changes are happening to your primary system, your new system is getting all those changes. Right, right. Yeah, how do you handle consistency there? So effectively, we, as a part of the database migration service, we're using like this features called change data capture that are available in, or some sort of change tracking that's available in every database. Mm -hmm. Right, so you can track all the changes, replicate them for consistency, reapply the log on the secondary. So that's actually fairly standard practice. Again, the service automates it, right? So it's sort of being done in real time. At some point where you feel everything is great, then the actual failover waits for the drain to happen, right? So the thing that we are aiming for is the worst case scenario is you take about a five-minute downtime. That's really what we're aiming. It's a very tall order. And two of our internal customers, so SharePoint Online is an example, right? SharePoint Online was built using a lot of on-prem hosted SQL servers. Mm -hmm. And they are moving to SQL Azure. Dynamics is another example where they're using a lot of on-prem SQL servers. You cannot take SharePoint online down and you cannot take right. Dynamics down, right? So we've worked out this architecture using this workflow that I just described, which effectively now we are seeing, in fact, in most cases, we see less than a minute downtime. For very, very large databases and which are very active, we see up to five minutes, but not more than that. So I'm very fascinated by all these machine learning features you were mentioning. That right. It's almost like you're automating the database administrator. Is uh, yeah, you know, and, and so there is, that's a point of view which is true, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we're sort of making it very easy for a lot of the functions that were typically done by, you know, a human database administrator, like high availability, disaster recovery, security, mm -hmm. protection, a lot of these things. But more than that, I think one of the things that I'm very excited about is, you know, starting with SQL Server 2016, we added this ability to run our code natively on the data that's inside the database, yeah. right? And, and, the, and the thinking behind that was, you know, you know, like, if you take a look at where the value system is moving, right? Customers bought databases for data management, right? So high availability, disaster recovery, just keep it secure, keep it available, back it up, right? Cloud is commoditizing a lot of that. And this is the point that we just discussed. Then where does the value chain move up, right? And fundamentally, a lot of the enterprises we speak to are like, look, we get the fact that data is going to help me transform my business. How does that happen? Like, can you any, like, what do I do? Mm -hmm. I hear that, but what does that mean? Like, I hear that I can do machine learning, but what does that mean? 
And in the past, there were a lot of custom solutions that we built. Like most of the crown jewels of the enterprise are in databases, right? They would migrate the data outside the database, use, you know, some custom tool like, you know, SaaS is very popular sure. or run R scripts and things like that. The challenge with that model is, you know, like moving the data outside the database is a big deal. First of all, the volume, compliance, now you manage the whole thing separately. So our thinking essentially was how should like, it'd be really cool and it'd be really valuable if we can allow developers to do, to build all these machine learning models, operationalize them, score against them without having to move the data outside the database. Yeah. Right, because I mean, that, that's, so you can do stuff in real time and you don't run into a lot of these manageability headaches, compliance headaches and you know, uh, of having to deal with getting the, any of this important data out. Right, so, so what we did was we built this extensibility architecture inside SQL Server and it's the same engine that we use in our past services, so Azure SQL Database, right? Which allows you to run R scripts natively. Inside the store procedures in the RT SQL language, you can embed those R scripts and run and score against the models that you installed. And in, with SQL Server 2017, we introduced Python. And R and Python are like really the two most popular ones, yes, as you might be aware. And the other thing is for most of the deep learning models, what we've sent like, you know, CNTK from Microsoft or TensorFlow from Google mm -hmm. and the others, I mean, Facebook Cafe, they all have native Python bindings, mm -hmm. right? So if you're able to host Python code, you can effectively take, use a lot of these libraries, which have pre-built models, right? DNNs for things like image recognition, etc. Mm -hmm. And they leverage the GPU power. So a lot of this, all that's built in. So just by the ability of hosting Python code in this extensibility architecture, we've enabled you to do deep learning on the data without moving it outside mm -hmm. the database. And this is going to come like in early fall, we're getting it into our past services as well, which is something I'm very excited about. Because yeah, this, yeah. this is really giving like, so your databases are not just for management, right? That's a commodity. Right. Your databases really are the place where you derive intelligence, you derive value, which helps you make decisions for your business. Yeah, yeah. So by having R and Python able to run natively uh, right. at the database level, yeah. stored procedures and stuff like that, I cut out all the latency. Correct. I'm computing where my data lives. You got it, right. But uh, do I now need to worry that uh, I'm putting resource constraints on my, you know, database that might I might be very concerned that it has high IO and throughput. Correct. So that's a that's a so typically the way the database design works is you have to sort of like there are multiple files in the file group, etc. So you you separate out the log and the data disk, right? And so that's something you have to plan for. So we have ability in which you can resource govern how much of CPU and how much of IO, how much of memory resources you give to the process that's running your R models or Python models. So there is a lot of governance that's built in from a pool allocation standpoint, mm -hmm. right? But your point's valid, which is that is an issue like where, you know, folks have to work through. But I mean, if you look at machines are getting beefier and beefier, you're getting scale out in the cloud, mm -hmm. right? So you can dedicate a pretty significant amount of compute just for this processing. We give you the ability to sort of manage your resources, scale them out as needed. But yes, without being thoughtful about that, let's say you just made it arbitrary where there's no limits you could have your database performance being impacted by the R queries, by the Python queries, et cetera, that you're mm. running. So when it comes to these things like threat detection, where I, I guess you guys are providing that for me for free as a service. Yes. Every instance is a little different. What I might use my database for might not match what my neighbor uses his for. Yeah. Um, how are you guys able to learn across uh, instances where maybe we're, we're doing different things with them? Yes. So, so you mean like across different database instances? 
Well, yeah, I, I guess fundamentally my question is about feature engineering. You know, are right. you learning from the system telemetry or yeah. is it, are you scanning the query logs? Yeah, so it's, so there's two things. There is, the, the biggest thing is the query text that we get, mm -hmm. right? So like there is, and which essentially tells us where there's a potential of an injection attack. Mm -hmm. Like predominantly, if you take a look at one of the biggest things you want to protect your database form is what's called SQL injection, right? Sure. Because everything takes a text query. So, so that's definitely one signal. And the other thing essentially is also the connection points. You know, if you typically get, you know, if you're behind the VNet, behind the firewall, and all of a sudden somebody's trying to connect from a place where we've never seen things before, mm -hmm. there's a risk based on that, depending on how the length of your database, like how long your database has existed, that determines whether that's a, adding to a risk profile. Then we get a lot of telemetry data in the Azure Security Center around your entire app. So database is one part of it, but you have VMs. Are we getting signals from the other parts of your estate which says that, hey, this, your app could be under attack? It sort of is at multiple levels, if you will. Specifically from a database standpoint, the query text, the connection points, the system telemetry, like I said, you know, on your VMs, et cetera, what we're collecting. Mm -hmm. It's while it's built into the service, I think today there's a small amount of charge you need to pay per user mm -hmm. of the database. So it's not free in that sense, but yeah. So in, in my mind, there's kind of two categories we can make about those types of threats. There is, you know, someone is attacking my site directly because they, they want to do something mm -hmm. negative to me. And then there's like the something more like a phishing scam. It's yes. like, let's just see if we can blanket every database we can find and, mm -hmm. and uh, compromise someone. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the challenges around detecting these two types of attacks? The broader phishing ones, if your signals are right, are slightly easier to detect mm -hmm. because you know, you're seeing the same pattern sort of. Well, imagine if somebody's trying to log into several thousands of databases and they're using this, you know, the, the pattern where you're seeing a lot of failures happen mm -hmm. across. So we have DOS guards that are built into the system that are e they're able to detect patterns like these and block them. The individual ones are a lot more challenging. You know, the machine learning thing com comes in a lot more handy. You know, every database, their access patterns are different. The query text is different. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so you probably no training data for the not new attack. Exactly. And, and this is where it goes to the duration of the database. Like I said, even with the, after the featureization and stuff like that, if, if you don't have a lot of training data, there could be a lot of false positives. So how do you... And then, you know, the challenge is if every time you contact the customer and say, hey, you know, and then they're like, no, that's not an issue. That's not an issue. Then you desensitize them. Sure, yeah, And yeah. it's truly, it's like the crying wolf story. Like right? when you right. truly have an issue, they're like, look, man, the last thousand times you contacted me, <laughs> it wasn't really an issue, right? And, and this is, again, something that we've been working for about two, two and a half years now. The more we know about your database, which helps us train the model, the better it gets. Mm -hmm. So databases, or at least the relational tabular databases, are an established older technology. Right. And now we're seeing all, as you'd mentioned, R is becoming available, Python, something that I wouldn't have even predicted five to ten years oh, ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, what's been the motivation and how people responded to these features? You know, the, and the motivation, again, I think it sort of goes back to what I sort of mentioned a little while before, which is, where is the value? And I'll, I'll tell you, one of the big things, and I'm going to share some of these numbers, again, these are blanket statements, so I'm mm -hmm. sure every enterprise is different, sure. but 80% of the IT spent today, on an average, is on maintenance. So I have my systems that are working, and about 20%, I'd say on an average, is spent on value, like truly new value that's going to help my business. Mm -hmm. Our goal is to change that. I mean, I think we fundamentally, and, and this is why if you think about it, right, the IT infrastructure is so worried about don't change anything, mm -hmm. and like anything is like a two-year project, and right? That becomes very challenging when you are trying to innovate very quickly 
for your business to get value, mm -hmm. right? So for us, really, the, the motivation is we says, look, as you know, the cloud becomes more prevalent where we have access to this tons of data through which we can derive intelligence, we can provide this value back to the customer, right? And, and so that became the pivot. So more than just the fundamentals, like I said, our data management, like availability, reliability, backup, you know, security, performance and scale. Uh, performance and scale is always going to be important. But, you know, like with these things are just expected now in the cloud. I think, you, you know, everyone's going to have it. And, but then the question is, okay, now I've suddenly reduced my 80% of the spend to a very small amount because I'm not worrying about these things anymore. I want to go spend that money that I saved through this optimization by moving to the cloud on creating value to transform my business. Mm -hmm. And when you start thinking like that and all the important data that you need for that is already in your database, relational database, as we're helping customers transform, you have to start thinking about intelligence and you know, adding more and more of these, making it very turnkey and uh, productive for developers. So if you're a data scientist, you shouldn't have to know anything about database management or complex schemas. You deal with the tools you're used to and we'll make sure the package management, connectivity, all that stuff is just turnkey. Nice. That's our goal. Yeah. So the uh, integration of R into SQL Server is relatively new, I think, last yes. year, and, and Python's much newer. Um, even though they've been out uh, now for a while, I think anyone, any data scientist taking advantage of those tools still earns the title innovator at this yes, point. Yes, absolutely. Do you have any maybe interesting stories of those innovators? Oh, yeah. I mean, sure. we have, like, I mean, you know, there's, I'd say, you know, our... Uh, ability to add R in SQL Server 16 has been, you know, one of the highlights, mm -hmm. you know, of why the adoption of SQL 16 has been one of the fastest on-prem. I mean, there are other features, of course, you know, weighted operational analytics, there's tons of value that came in, but this thing really stands out as, wow, this is cool new, I yeah. mean, this is something very different, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so we have, I, I'll tell you, we have healthcare providers who are looking into optimizing providing the best healthcare with we have a couple of hospitals as an example who are looking at a couple of things if you're running a hospital like predicting the length of stay of a customer so when a customer comes in checks into the hospital how long they're going to stay the medical officer or the you know what's called the ward lead managing the hospital has to optimize for the number of beds what kind of nurse given the you know like so the efficiency just around that is very gated on predicting the length of stay the other thing is the probability of readmission when you dis when you discharge a patient if they come back within a month, a lot of the insurance companies will refuse to pay the hospital. They say, you didn't do your job properly, hmm. right? So being able to predict the probability of readmission based on a certain set of features, right? Like things you measure from the patient. So that's actually very critical. And believe it or not, these two, length of stay and probability of readmission is what determines whether a hospital will make money or not. You know, and they're using, you know, all the patient data goes into the SQL database that they have, SQL Server. And it was more of an art than a science before we added the R capability into uh -huh. it. Right now, they're able to build more uh, models based on the feature extraction, which is effectively patient data. Yeah. And collecting over like thousands and hundreds of thousands of patients that they get. And their efficiencies are amazing. Now, based on a couple of case studies that we worked with our partners, we have a very large group of hospitals in Japan who wants to try it out. Because for them, they're like, look, we already have this data. If we get this and it's going to make us run efficiently. So that's one example. We have lots of examples in the financial sector. You know, we've publicly spoken about Jack Henry and Associates. It's a financial services company that one of their said customers are credit unions across the United States and loan charge off probability. So when you come and ask for a loan, you know, they have to look at like a lot of, do a lot of experiments, like millions and millions of experiments per request on 
like what happens if you know the economy of that region falls age group income levels i mean there's it's so complex and typically that process takes several weeks and this is why that process is slow and with 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 this ability to run our scripts they're able to do close to i mean i i like several millions like i think 15 million experiments for the model they run in 18 seconds right uh-huh. i mean so you see the disruption here right something that would take have taken weeks is completing within like hours or minutes right then so think about the change in the end to end duration of the customer experience for their customer so certainly some of that comes from the efficiencies we've talked about that there's no network latency correct but i imagine some of it must be um, sort of user efficiency as absolutely, well absolutely right? right because because now if you're taking important like imagine medical data of a patient mm-hmm. if you had to take that outside where the compliance uh-huh. boundary uh-huh. that's what causes the delay and then of course the data volume is pretty high so you know pulling that out takes time the the person who's authorizing you to do it has to make sure that wherever you're keeping the data is compliant as well yeah yeah right so this is what causes delays when we basically say that look you don't have to do any of that we are allowing you to run and do all all this data science create an operationalized score against your models without ever taking the models or the data outside the database now you've suddenly removed all that barrier yeah so this dramatic reductions that you see is not just scale and perf it's just like this operation procedures that have reduced yeah got all the compliance headaches gone that's just gone right so very nice that's actually the big win so i think uh, as i was saying we can still label people embracing this as innovators oh, absolutely after a while that you know yes. you're no longer an innovator if someone wants to get on the innovation bandwagon where's the best place for them to learn about i mean you know what i'd say is i i highly encourage you know uh, your listeners to sort of look at you know what we've announced with sql server 2017 mm-hmm. you know the python integration it comes with a lot of tooling a lot of get started scripts on the cloud side i'd say cortana intelligence gallery is a great place to get started because it it has templates around you know setting this stuff up very quickly introducing you to azure machine learning and how that you know will eventually sort of play into azure sql database and azure sql data warehouse so there's a lot of information right and and even if you're just a data developer a developer that sort of works with data yeah. you don't have to know see that the other part what we've done is you can basically use a lot of what's already available in open source in both r and python you know deep learning libraries and just cut and paste that into your code mm-hmm. like this things which say like if you want to go search for i want to do regression analysis you know whether it's booster decision tree and or random forest these are all standard things that already exist yeah. you don't even have to know the r code or the python code just cut sure. and paste it put it and you can get going mm-hmm. right so that was one of the key design points we had Nice. Yeah, like all of a sudden you're looking smart even though you don't understand what the code's really <laughs> <Yeah>. doing. <laughs> well, to wrap up, um now that we have, you know, MySQL and Postgres is is provided services. Yes. Uh, naturally the motivation I think for someone who's working on an existing system is I don't want to change much. Right. But in greenfield situations, do you have any advice for why individuals would pick amongst the various services available? So, you know, in it, it is interesting. It actually even in a greenfield situation i do think it comes down to the developer preference like mm-hmm. where is it that you're starting from like if you're you know if you're absolutely like uh, uh you know like oh i'm going to start from an orm well orms default to a certain database right like let's say mysql mm-hmm. then that's where you go pick uh or i you know i'm i'm very used to the postgres api set and i'm trying to build a new app and it's really about that like we you know for us we want to make mysql and postgres be the best azure be the best place to run these as managed services mm-hmm. so all the value that we are adding to the managed fabric we want we will make that available for mysql and postgres stuff 
Now, if you're, you know, you know, you're a SQL Server customer, or you're really fascinated by where we're going with this whole AI in the database journey, uh, then absolutely go, you know, check it out. It's going to be the premium database service that we have. Uh, you know, all the inv core investments that we're doing inside the SQL engine mm -hmm. is going to be, you know, available first inside Azure SQL database. So it's really like, you know, um, you know, if the developers come and talk to us. Mm -hmm. It's not about pushing one versus the other. We'll basically ask them like, okay, what are you comfortable with? What is it that you're really trying yeah. to do? And we have choices for, you know, we basically have all the choices that you want. And for us, it's not really about pick one versus the other. We really want to like guide you towards where the best option for you is. Makes sense. Yeah. Rohan, this has been really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing all your insights. Oh, congrats on the major releases. Oh, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you.